0: The Old Testament, First Kings, and we will be in chapter 17 this morning. A <clears throat> little different than normal, we'll be covering one verse, chapter 17, verse 1, and this will be part one of a two-part series as we continue to walk through our Journeys of Faith series. But before we uh, read the verse, uh, would you join me in prayer? Father, as we come to your word We ask that you would speak into our lives this morning. We pray that you would yield our hearts ready and willing to obey and to follow you. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me even words to speak this morning, that you would anoint my lips, anoint our ears. And Father, by your spirit, move and work in our lives to apply your word, to instruct us and direct us. And I also pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we look at Elijah's life, I think what we come to in this text is we we come to a time in First Kings, chapter 17, where Elijah is challenging the culture. And so our theme this morning, as Dr. David said, is our God lives. And as we continue through our Journeys of Faith series, I have a confession to make. I've really been looking forward to studying the life of Elijah. And the reason is because his life is surrounded by mystery. He's a mysterious biblical figure, at least to me. He was, his life was bracketed in the beginning and the end by mystery, by mystery. He comes out of nowhere in 1 Kings chapter 17. And then one day out of nowhere, he's taken up to heaven by a whirlwind in 2 Kings chapter 2. We're not told of his upbringing. We don't know of his background. We don't even know of his calling and how he became a prophet. We simply meet him in 1 Kings chapter 17. But for all the mystery that surrounds Elijah, this biblical figure, the prophet, James tells us that he was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, his story isn't unattainable. His story is not that far from what ours could be or should be. His life displays the same characteristics that our lives display. In his humanity, we see both strength and weakness evidenced in his life. We see both triumph and we see failure. We see confident trust and we also see anxious frustration as we read through the story of Elijah. Well, we won't cover the entire story of Elijah this morning. As I mentioned a moment ago, we will look at chapter 17, verse 1. But what I want to point out about Elijah is that he was an imperfect man. But as an imperfect man, he was a man whose life was yielded to obedience to God. And that's the same calling that God has for each of our lives, that our lives would be yielded, even in our imperfection, would be yielded as lives of obedience to God. And so this morning, I want us to see that the one true living God demands the single allegiance, or I'm sorry, the one true living God demands single allegiance Through Jesus Christ and courageous obedience for the life of the world. Elijah served the one true God at a pivotal time in the history of Israel. In the ninth century BC, Israel had become deeply entrenched in idolatry and apostasy. The kingdoms from the north and the south had been divided and Jeroboam was the first king over the northern ten tribes of Israel. The southern kingdom was, became known as the kingdom of Judah. And it was under Jeroboam's rule that Israel became increasingly pagan in their worship. He set up two golden calves at the edge of the kingdom, one in Bethel, one in Dan. And he said, people of Israel, here are your gods who led you out of Egypt. Come and worship them. He did this in an effort to stop the people of Israel from journeying or pilgrimaging to Jerusalem so that they could worship there. And so Jeroboam sinned and he led the people of, of, of God to worship God through golden calves, through a graven image. Now, fast forward 100 years to Ahab's reign, 874 B.C. During Ahab's reign, Ahab had great accomplishments. He fortified a number of cities. He formed profitable trade agreements with surrounding nations. He led a successful military campaign, several of them. And he had many great political accomplishments. But listen to how Ahab's 22-year reign is summed up in 1 Kings chapter 16, beginning in verse 29. Listen. In the 38th year of Asa king of Judah, Ahab the son of Omri began to reign over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a like thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and he served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He had laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn. And he set its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. In spite of all of Ahab's accomplishments, here's what he's remembered for. He's remembered for forgetting God. He's remembered for his, his kingship, his reign is overshadowed by the grave sin that he led Israel into. He led Israel single-handedly into pagan worship. Verse 31 says that it was he considered it a like thing to commit the sins of Jeroboam. He took pagan worship to a whole new level for God's people. He married that wicked woman, Jezebel, and he led God's people into worshiping her god, Baal. He built an altar, right? Verse 32, he built an altar to Baal. In fact, he built a temple to Baal in the land of Samaria. And basically what he did was he ushered in this false worship, worshipping of Baal, this cult, to become the religion of the ten tribes of Israel. He made it the religion of the state. While all the time the prophets of the true and living God were being hunted down by his wife and they were being killed. Baal was the most popular Canaanite God. He was the storm God. He was associated with with the weather. They they sought to appease him in worship so that he would bring rain. And being that he was the storm god, he was also closely associated with the fertility god. And so that would bring the growth of, of crops. Verse 33 mentions he made an Asherah. Asherah was the goddess of sex and war. And this cult, the worshipers of this cult, would worship Baal through immoral and decadent activity in hopes of appeasing the deity in order to send rain for the flourishing of the crops. This is what Ahab ushered in to be the worship of God's people. So to be clear, Ahab wasn't against religion, and Ahab wasn't against worshiping. Ahab chose to worship Baal, a false god. That's what Elijah was up against. This is the culture that Elijah is challenging. This is the culture that he's going up against. So meet Elijah in chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. After today's sermon, go and read through the end of chapter 17 and read chapter 18 and see this, uh, this contest that goes on between Yahweh, the God of Israel, and Baal, the false god of Ahab. In all that God does, we're going to focus on verse 1 this morning, but in all that God does in chapter 17, he's showing that he himself is more powerful and has authority over everything that the worshippers of Baal claimed that Baal had. And so we see Elijah's courageous obedience in verse 1. Before we begin thinking that Elijah's culture is too archaic or it's too simple and that we're much more advanced, I want you to consider that an agrarian society would center their false worship on those things which were the driving influencers of their lives. Now, consider the entertainment-driven and the pleasure-seeking culture that we live in today and ask or answer the question, what are the things that people worship? Houses of worship are empty across our land, across America, yet people haven't ceased to worship. Here's what they've done. They've just chosen to worship other things. They've chosen to worship hobbies or, or chosen to worship entertainment. They've chosen to worship personal pursuits. They've chosen to worship self and seeking their own pleasure instead of worshiping the true and living God. And the consequences of our sin, just like the nation of Israel, are grave. We have abortion clinics in our land. We have human trafficking all across this nation and the globe. And we have the redefining of marriage, just to name a few. And I think all of these are are indicators of the false worship that exists in our country today. To borrow a phrase from the book of Judges, every man did what was right in their own eyes. And the primacy of absolute truth and the worship of the one true God had lost its place in the nation of Israel. And I ask you this morning, is it any different in our nation? The one issue that Elijah was facing in his culture and in his day was the issue of the exclusivity of the claims of Yahweh, his God. The Canaanites had no problem adding more gods to their pantheon The problem wasn't adding another God to all the gods that existed in their religion. The problem was God's exclusive claim. And friends, it's no different in our culture today. The exclusivity of the claim of Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation is the very issue that we're facing in our culture today. So some things never change. And the depravity of the human heart is one of those things that never changes. I think one of the most telling things we learn from Elijah's life is that when God begins to turn the culture, He doesn't do it through political leaders. But as history shows, as we spoke, as Drew spoke about Martin Luther earlier, as history shows, most often what God is at work doing is he's, he's, He's working in spite of the political leaders. God uses men, one man, to call His people back to Him one man of courageous obedience who will stand on his word and hold the line and hold the standard up. Throughout history, God has raised up men of courage who have stood and obediently, obediently called God's people to repentance and called God's people to lives of holiness. And so in verse 1, I think what we see from Elijah's life, I just want to give you those three points this morning from Elijah's life. Elijah was convinced that Yahweh was the true and living God. And his actions proved it. Elijah comes out of nowhere. He marches right into King Ahab's presence. And he delivers a message from the Lord. The Lord is capitalized there, L-O-R-D. It's capitalized, all caps. And it points us to an understanding of this is the covenant God, Yahweh of Israel. And so Elijah is speaking on behalf of this covenant God, the one who has called his people out of Egypt and led them through the wilderness into the promised land. He knows that Yahweh, his God, lives and is sovereign over all things. And because of that, Get this, because of that, Elijah was zealous for the worship of God. He had confidence that as he went on God's mission, he was speaking on behalf of God. He had confidence that his God was more powerful than Baal or any other false god that exists. And he was calling Ahab out. He called Ahab out by challenging Ahab. And challenging his false God, Baal's impotent authority. Elijah doesn't just get he doesn't get sidetracked by the immorality of their worship rituals. He goes straight for the jugular, like a missile to the heart. He was a man of conviction, and he spoke into the life of King Ahab right at the point where where Ahab was struggling. He hits him right in the heart. I think Elijah's courageous obedience exhorts us, likewise, to trust in the power of the living God. Listen, we must be men and women of conviction who spiritually discern the issues in people's lives and speak with clarity and speak with conviction and speak with God's authority into their lives. The question is, if not you, believer, then who will? God has uniquely placed you in these spheres of influence. It is your ministry calling in life in order to be a vessel, to be used by God, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of God. God desires to do this in the midst of each of our lives as we're touching and rubbing elbows with the lost world that we live in. Who in your sphere of influence will stand for Christ? Who in your sphere of influence will counter the culture with courageous obedience and conviction grounded in God's word? That's what we see Elijah doing here. Elijah was convinced that Yahweh was the true living God, and his actions proved it. He goes right into King Ahab's presence. He could have been killed for entering into the king's presence like he did, but he goes right in. Secondly, we see that Elijah was committed to allegiance to the Lord. And his life reflected it. His very name, Elijah, it means my God is Yahweh. Eli, God, El is the name for God, and I, so my God, Yah, it's the name for Yahweh. My God is Yahweh. His very name points others to see what he is standing for. And he says, as my God lives before whom I stand, he's going to bat. Listen, he's going to bat for the purity of the nation of Israel. Israel is God's nation and God will not surrender his nation to Baal. And so Elijah was careful to declare that he was a servant of God alone. He was trusting in God's authority, not in his own authority, not in any other person's authority. He was actually confronting the king's authority. He was trusting in God's authority. Israel had become a tolerant people. And so Elijah, in chapter 18, later in the story, he will call Israel to stop limping between Baal worship and the worship of Yahweh. And he'll call them to... To decide that day who they're going to serve. You see their hearts and their allegiance was divided. And because of this God's judgment was about to fall on his people. I want to speak for a moment to I think what is the core core issue. One of the core issues if not the core issue for the church of our day. As we've become a tolerant people. Like the people of Israel, we've, I think, become tolerant, many. Now, maybe not everybody in our gathering this morning, but by and large, we have become a tolerant people in our day. We're like the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3, neither hot nor cold, to which God says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. He goes on to say, for, for you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Then he goes on to say, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. You see, Elijah's courageous obedience exhorts us, I think, to guard our own purity and holiness. His life exhorts us to single allegiance to God, that we might seek the purity of the church, Christ's bride. Listen, God isn't interested in our tolerance and political correctness. He desires our lives reflect a single allegiance to Christ. He wants to reach our families, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors with the hope of the gospel of Christ. And as I said a moment ago, he wants to use us to do that, to engage. And so we see that Elijah was a man who was committed to allegiance to the Lord, and his life reflected it. Thirdly, we see this about Elijah. We see that Elijah was controlled by God's word, and his speech demonstrated it. He makes an announcement there in verse 1 at the end. Before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. Now, listen, before we get so zealous and think that I'm advocating, we would go and beat people up with the Bible, I want you to hear me. I'm convinced that before Elijah marched into the presence of the king, he humbly knelt in the presence of God. Hear what Moses told the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 16 and 17. This shows us that Elijah has, was one who was studying and standing on God's word. He says in Deuteronomy eleven sixteen, Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. What was Elijah doing? Elijah was praying and, and responding to God's word. And God heard and answered him. Elijah's prayer and speech reflects what God had already promised through the stipulation of his covenant. James 5, 16 through 18 speaks of Elijah using his life, his prayer as an illustration. Verse 16 makes the point that powerful prayer isn't limited to some spiritual elite group of people, but that prayer of the righteous has great power to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. In verses 17 and 18, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, it says, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. James is saying, Elijah was a man like us, same nature as us. And yet he accomplished this great thing through the power of prayer. And the point is, you and I, brothers and sisters, need to be men and women of prayer and speech like Elijah. We need to pray and to speak God's word so that people around us would hear and see the truth about God. So that they would know who God is and see a faith reflected in our lives that prove God's existence, that prove our faith in Him. Even if it means difficult days for us, as we'll see reflected in Elijah's life in part two of the sermon next week. R.A. Tory in The Power of Prayer said this, O men and women, pray through, pray through. Do not just begin to pray and pray a little while and throw up your hands and quit, but pray and pray and pray until God bends the heavens and comes down. That's what Elijah was doing here. That's what we are called to do, brothers and sisters, to intercede before the Lord, to pray his word back to him. And to ask God to work, another another writer said, Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger people. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Oh, that we would be like Elijah. Humble in prayer. Bold in our speech. Courageous in our actions. And faithful in our obedience. Believer, let me ask, what steps do you need to take today to walk more closely with Christ? God demands the allegiance of his people. He is a jealous God who will not share the worship due him with another. If we are to see a change in the culture of our nation, it must begin with God's people. It must begin with the church, you and me. God's grand plan is to use his church to proclaim the good news of Christ and to bring the message that Jesus Christ lives to the world. So God is alive. God is powerful. And he is working all things according to his perfect will. And he desires to work in and through us in order to accomplish his perfect will. Friend, it's no accident that you're here this morning. How is the Lord working in your life? What is He calling you to? How is He calling you to change and and, and how is He working to transform you? The condemning news is nothing you or I do will surprise God. He knows the wickedness of our hearts. He sees the sin sickness of the brokenness of our humanity. He sees the foolish yearnings of our fleshly pursuits. He sees the waywardness and the wayward affections of our hearts that we set on other things outside of him or away from him. But I want you to know, he isn't some dead, impotent God like Baal who's unable to act. The good news is that God has acted. He made a way for us to live in single allegiance to Him, and that way is through Jesus Christ, His Son, who stepped down into our humanity and bore sin's curse by becoming our substitute on the cross. This is the faithfulness of Yahweh, the covenant God. Jesus Christ, God the Son, suffered for the He suffered the full wrath of God the Father against our sin. So that we might have Christ's righteousness. And we gain his righteousness through repenting of our sin. And through confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. He resurrected to life. Defeating Satan and triumphing over death. So a question I want you to consider this morning. Is have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord? Is he the one that you follow, that you worship, that you're surrendered to in everything? As we close this morning, we're faced really with two characters here. One is the character of King Ahab. Will we be like King Ahab who's life accomplishments are swallowed up with a statement like he provoked the Lord God to anger? Or will we be like Elijah so that our lives demonstrate the one true and living God demands single allegiance through Jesus Christ and commands courageous obedience for the life of the world? Which is it that sums up our lives this morning? Are we walking with courageous obedience, serving God? Are our is, is our Is my life, is your life sold out in single allegiance to the worship of God? I pray this morning that it is, but if it's not, you're going to have a time to confess your sin before the Lord and repent and trust Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you to respond right where you are this morning, confessing the Lord as... Savior, if that if that's where you're at, are confessing your need for Him and committing to walk with Him. I'm going to pray, and you respond this morning as the Lord leads. Pray with me, Father. As we come before you this morning, we're aware that you you're here. Your presence is in our midst, God. We can't run from you. We can't run far enough to escape you, for Lord, your eyes see everything about us. You see everything that goes on in our lives, you are aware of every part of our days, of every inch of our soul, of every deep thought that we have, pure and impure. You know it all. And so we confess this morning our need to you. And I pray for strength for any this morning who need to confess you as Lord and surrender their lives to Jesus and walk. In single allegiance, would you give strength today for your servants to confess you, to follow you, to walk closely with you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.